Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. Hey everyone, it's Mike Huber, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation and certified mental performance consultant. The Freshman Foundation podcast is preparing young athletes and families for every next step in their athletic journey. If you're enjoying the podcast, then please subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share with a friend. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Freshman Foundation. Why is it so hard to ask for help? In episode two of the podcast, Lindsay Hamilton, who is the head of mental conditioning at IMG Academy, discussed that the most successful young athletes demonstrate the skill of resourcefulness. Being resourceful means not only knowing where to find a resource, but knowing how to ask for help. Asking for help is hard. Many people, adults and young people alike, don't like to ask for help because it requires vulnerability. We don't want to seem weak or incompetent to our coaches, partners, and families. However, the most successful performers in sport and life know where to get help and how to get it. In episode 50, I will explore why it's so hard to ask for help. My own experience has been that trying to navigate challenging life transitions alone often leads to pain and suboptimal outcomes. The purpose of this podcast is to give our listeners the tools they need to successfully navigate transitions in sport and in life. I'm excited for this episode, so let's build your foundation right now. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Freshman Foundation podcast. It's Mike. Uh, thanks for coming back. If you've uh, been listening, thanks for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, um, uh, I'm going to consider this or, or call this a special episode. It's our 50th full episode, uh, so a milestone that I'm pretty proud of. And um, I'm treating it in a special way. Um, I don't like to do solo episodes in general. I don't think it's particularly interesting to hear one person talk um, singularly without a guest or a conversation, but I'm going to do this one solo because it's our 50th episode. And I, I want to talk about something that's really um, important to me in my professional work, as well as in my personal experience. And that's the topic of asking for help. Um, it's something I think about quite a bit, you know, why it's so hard for the young people that I work with, uh, in my practice to ask others for help, uh, why it's so hard for just everyday people, uh, non-athletes, adults like myself in our personal lives to ask for help. Um, and, and I think it's a really important topic because it sort of, it does speak to, um, the tone and tenor of what's going on in the world from a mental health perspective. Uh, I think there's, you know, rightly so, uh, a much more open dialogue about mental health in, uh, our country now. I think it's more becoming more normalized and acceptable to talk about mental health struggles, but at the same time, I think it's frankly against human nature to ask for help. And I'll start by framing that from a biological perspective. Um, 
and I, I talk to my athletes about this when I'm talking to them about performance challenges and how to deal with the mental side of their sport, which is to say our brains are wired to uh, detect fear or threat, right? And so the part of our brain, the, amyg the amygdala, which is sort of a walnut-sized gland in the brain, um, detects threat at a very, very in a very sensitive way. It's much more uh, powerful than the other parts of our brain, including the, the parts of our brain that um, do the reasoning, the executive functioning. And so whenever something, you know, is, is perceived to be a threat, uh, the alarm bells go off in the brain uh, quite a bit. And so I say that in that, I say that, or I say that to say <laughs> that, uh, that asking for help sort of triggers that alarm because there may be a fear of, you know, asking for help or being vulnerable or showing weakness or whatever those things are, right? Showing vulnerability in a way that we think others are going to judge us and maybe hold, you know, the fact that we're asking for help and we're admitting that maybe we can't do something on our own against us. And, and so I, I think it's important to frame it that way. And just to, I wouldn't be doing my job as a, a sports psychology professional um, without uh, citing some evidence just to sort of frame this a little bit further. So um, there are a couple of things that I looked at before recording this episode because I wanted to be prepared. But one study out of Stanford University uh, has found that children as young as seven years old identify asking for help in front of other people as a sign of incompetence. So even at that young age and that stage of innocence, there's still some level of shame in asking for help and not being able to do something on your own. Um, and that's, I think that's really important, right? If that's, if we're that young in our lives that we don't feel like we can ask others for help, um, then what's it going to be as we get older and we learn that behavior and it's reinforced over time, right? So when we get into adulthood and we've always been ashamed of, or fearful of asking for help because we don't want to look bad, well, we're always going to try to do things on our own uh, as much as possible, right? Unless we get to the point where we're just so tapped out that we we have no other choice or we choose another option that's really very dire. Um, and maybe we'll talk about that as we go on. But, you know, a big part of that is 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 the willingness to be vulnerable, right? And I think there's some misconceptions around vulnerability um, and what that means and what that looks like, right? So again, to sort of go back to the research, you know, I was looking at one study. Um, I want to get the researcher's name right here. It's a Brook, B-R-U-K, uh, and colleagues in 2018 defined vulnerability as an authentic and intentional willingness to be open to uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure in social situations in spite of fears, right? And so that doesn't necessarily mean like reflexively breaking down and starting to cry. It doesn't mean, um, you know, it doesn't mean like oversharing to get someone to manipulate someone, or it means like they're genuinely coming to somebody and asking for help, uh, knowing that, you know, not knowing what's going to be on the other side of it. Right. So it's a very, very, um, a very important distinction, right? So vulnerability in, in the context of sports psychology, um, I would say is going to ask a coach for help or feedback, right? So looking at it that way, and this is something I talk to athletes about all the time is, when we go to a coach and we ask for help, we don't want to be, we don't want it to be held against us, right? We don't look like we know what we're doing. We don't want to look like we're vulnerable. We, we, we just would rather kind of sweep it under the rug. Maybe we, we don't want to hear 
what a coach has to say for real. And I think that that is something that if we're talking about the topic or the general theme of this podcast, which is athlete transitions, right? Elevating through the athletic ranks, you know, from stage to stage to stage, right? Not asking, not being able to ask for help from your coaches and trying to do everything on your own is going to have a greater consequence as you elevate through the ranks, right? If you go from high school to college and you become, uh, you know, an average size fish in a, in a big pond versus a big fish in a small pond in high school, and and you're not willing to ask for help, well, then you're just probably going to sort of get pushed to the side or you're just going to sort of be treading water rather than really trying to get ahead. And when I've talked to athletes about asking for help or having a conversation with a coach, you know, it makes them really nervous. But when I, when I asked them the question of like, what do you think it would look like to have that conversation? They sort of think about it in a different way. And they say, you know what, like I probably could have that conversation. Right. And so having the willingness to give themselves permission or maybe get it with a little bit of help from me or somebody else like me, uh, is a big step forward. And then when they go in to have the conversation with their coaches, you know, understanding, wanting to understand the reasoning behind a decision or understand where they, you know, they fit into the pecking order or, uh, you know, what they need to do to get better. Every time they come out of those conversations, it's almost universal that, you know, the response is, well, I don't necessarily like what I heard, but I feel relief. And so like being able to feel that relief in and of itself is valuable because now I don't have to like wonder like, what is my coach thinking? Like, you know, what do I need to do to get better? Where do I stand? Like, I know. And now I can sort of put that to ease and then go be more, you know, authentic, you know, intentional about, you know, my, my participation as an athlete and, and, and just, you know, more free, you know, even again, if it's not something you like to hear, at least you have some information to act on. Right. And so, Another sort of piece or another citation from that Brooke article, and I don't want to get too wonky here, but I think it's important is, you know, they, they state in that article that I mentioned, um, one immediate benefit of self-disclosure is more enjoyment of social interactions, right? Those include interactions with coaches and teammates, right? If you feel like you can be yourself with somebody, and I certainly speak from personal experience, this is something that's really important to me, um, not only in my personal life, but in my practice in some ways is, you know, being able to show people who I truly am at the core of who I am um, makes me feel more comfortable in social interactions because I'm an introvert by nature. Um, I don't trust people, you know, with really emotional or, or, or private stuff right off the bat. Um, especially if I think they're going to judge me, I would rather, um, I would rather just sort of work it out myself before, you know, I, as I feel out those other people, uh, I don't want them to sort of get too close. Um, but being able to self-disclose really takes that load off and, and then you can go be yourself and that allows you to enjoy your social interactions and it probably in, allows you to enjoy your performance and, and perform more naturally than you would if you had this burden of these things bothering you, that your mind is getting in the way, so to speak, which is something I, I talk about in the context of mental performance coaching. And then self-disclosure, it, it, it typically results in better mental health. And then I would, again, argue in better, in better performance, right? And so when we're not in a good place mentally, 
it's it's really hard to feel good about ourselves. Our self-esteem might be low. You know, we're doubting ourselves. You know, maybe we're a little bit depressed or down. Maybe we're a little bit anxious. Um, and that gets in the way, right? And sometimes it just, it limits itself to the sporting activity that we're in the field or the court or whatever. Um, but sometimes it seeps over into our lives. And then, you know, maybe our social relationships suffer because of our mental health. Maybe our academics suffer because of mental health. Maybe our financial situation suffers because of mental health. And I certainly felt all those things at some point in my life. Um, and, and, you know, I think ultimately, right, the people who ask for help are able to operate in a more open-minded and in a, in a freer, I can't, you know, I can't think of a better word than freer way. And so if I tie it back to my own experience, you know, I've talked a bit on the podcast, if you've listened about my own experience with a gambling addiction. And I mean, I guess, you know, one of the things that I think about um, a lot is the fact that I went for probably 25 years of my life trying to solve that problem on my own. I started with gambling when I was 12. The first time I stopped, the first time I realized I had a problem was probably at 19 or 20. When I went through a transition from high school to college, I was homesick on my own. Um, I wasn't very comfortable. My financial situation was tenuous. Um, it was just a lot of circumstances that led me to turn to gambling to deal with my issues. And I knew that I needed help even at that young age, but I didn't go for it because why? Because I wanted to solve the problem on my own. I can get out of this. I don't want other people to know that I have a problem. I don't want to admit that I have a problem. And I carried that for probably 18, 17, 18, 19 more years of my life until the point where I got, I was ready to ask for help. But there was a lot of damage that was done in that 17 or 18 years to my mental health, to my finances, to my relationships, um, to my professional life. And I wasn't willing to ask for help until I absolutely got to the bottom. You know, if you hear people say about addiction, you know, I had to get to the bottom in order to ask for help. And that's what happened to me. Now, unfortunately, from a mental health perspective, a lot of people who suffer from gambling addictions also um, consider, you know, self-destruction or suicide as an option because they're so ashamed of the behavior and they're so ashamed of the trouble they've gotten themselves into. And maybe they're so depressed and anxious about the situation they've created and they're living in their own mind, isolated, that they feel like the only option is to take their lives. And I, I know that to be true. Gambling has the highest rate of uh, suicide incidents of any of the addictions that we know of. And um, I have heard stories of people who have trying to take their life. I've heard stories of people who have taken their lives as a result of gambling. I say all that to say is that like, if I'm an athlete to tie it back to the real topic of conversation here is why is it so hard for young athletes to ask for help is if I'm an athlete and, and I'm not asking for help to get better, I'm just asking for help to survive or I'm just asking for help because I have, I'm, I'm desperate. Like you're going to throw away a lot of really valuable time in your career just trying to keep your head above water, juggling and managing problems versus going and taking advantage of the help that is there for you, especially at the college level, 
right? Where there's a great deal of resources, even at the lower levels of collegiate sports, there's, you know, all sorts of resources at your disposal to go take advantage of. And if you're not doing that, um, because you think that you're okay or you don't need the help or whatever, you're like, you're probably doing yourself a disservice. And, you know, I'll, I'll go back to, to episode two of this podcast. So, you know, February of 2021, almost two years ago, um, my guest on that podcast was Lindsay Hamilton. Uh, Lindsay is the head of mental conditioning for IMG Academy. Um, probably, I mean, in truth, probably my favorite episode, I think maybe, you know, for, I don't know exactly why I feel that way, but I think her wisdom, um, the way she, um, approaches her, her job, her craft, somebody who takes so much pride in it, um, does it in a, in a prestigious setting with the population that I prefer to serve. Um, there's just something, you know, I, I guess I look up to her and I really was, you know, grateful to have the opportunity to talk to her for an hour about, you know, the work that she does and the work that we do to, you know, in the field. And, you know, the thing that she said is that the, you know, one of the things she said that sticks out and is really important is like the, the athletes who are most successful tend to be the most resourceful. Right. And, and to paraphrase what she said on that podcast, um, is that it's not just finding a resource, like knowing where to get it, but knowing how to ask, how do I ask for help? right? How do I frame that? How do I advocate for myself, which is something I'm huge on. And I talk to my athletes, my clients about all the time is, Hey, like there's only so much you can control on or off the field. Right. And so if you're not able to get the resource that you need, or you're not getting the results that you want, or you're not getting the cooperation or feedback from somebody in your life, a coach or a teammate or what have you, that at a certain point, there's a, an accountability on you to go ask for what you need, even if you aren't going to like the result or what they're going to say or what they're going to do. But you can e either, you know, avoid it and ignore it and pretend like there's not an issue, uh, or you can be afraid to ask because of the fear of, you know, what, what if, like what's going to happen. But just know that, that if you don't, step forward and try to advocate for yourself and know how to ask for that help, then you're probably not going to reach your potential. And, and she goes on to say in the podcast, which I think is one of my favorite things I've ever heard, at least in a sports psychology context is you don't have to be bad to get better. And I think that that's something I could probably do a better job of sharing with the people that I work with, because I think there's still this perception that coming to somebody like me or Lindsay or anybody in the sports psychology field is the, it, it, it's it, the, the perception is, is that something's wrong with me and that I need to fix it. My thinking isn't right. Um, I'm not playing well. I need something. And I've tried all these other things. I've lifted more weights. I've, you know, I've practiced more. I went to my instruction. I watch video. I do all these things that everybody accepts is really, um, a given, you know, in terms of becoming a better athlete. And now all of a sudden you got the, the black sheep of the family, the mental performance coach, who's, you know, sitting and waiting for these people to recognize that, you know, something's wrong and now we're going to help, which makes our jobs really hard because, you know, I, I can't, I'm not a magician. I can't fix somebody. And I, I mean, I could try. And, and in some cases I can make things better, but I need that person, whoever I'm working with to be able to articulate what they need help with. 
and I need them to in, interact and, and, and engage in the process because it's their performance. It's not my performance. I'm just the guide, right? And, and so the ones, the people who I work with that show up to do the work and see it as a way to get better, even if things aren't bad or their mental health is in a good place or their confidence is in a good place, but they're working on the nuances of these mental strategies and, and skills so that when things do go bad, because they will, when they, when you hit a rocky patch in, in any sport in life, you have to have, you know, tools to cope. And some of them are adaptive, as we'd say, like mindfulness and, you know, breathing and, and, you know, constructive self-talk and all these things, or they can be maladaptive, like drinking or smoking or gambling or eating or whatever. Right. So, so, you know, just know that those situations are going to come and working on those mental skills in a time where there isn't stress or there isn't distress or there isn't a problem is going to allow you to really learn better because you're not distracted or you're not under the, the gun to, to, to try to fix something that doesn't really need to be fixed. It's just a part of your overall game that you should be working on all the time. But there's still this perception, you know, that working with a mental performance coach, even if I'm not, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a clinical psychologist, like there's this perception that coming to somebody, somebody like me, like, like it's, there's something to be embarrassed about, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, And there's not right. The best of the best work with people in the sports psychology field. And the best of the best in business work with coaches and they work with therapists. They're constantly looking for help to be better rather than, oh, I have a problem. Now I need to fix it. And I, I think that that's to go back to the, the sort of the, the original, um, the start of the podcast is I think it's just human nature, right? I can solve this problem on my own. I don't want anybody to see that I'm not capable, that I'm incompetent, right? And that's real, right? Like we're swimming upstream from day one biologically. Like that's what our brains are programmed to do, to recognize vulnerability as a threat. And so then as you get older and you start to go to school and you start to play sports and you start to you know, take more risks in your life in general, right? You're, you're taught that it's not okay to make a mistake. You're taught that it's okay. It's not okay to lose it. You're taught that it's not okay to share your feelings. And now it's just an editor. It's a, it's an iterative process. It goes round and round and round and it accumulates. And so by the time we get to 16, 17, 18, 22 years old, that idea that we can't make a mistake. We can't ask for help. You know, it's not okay to not be okay. It becomes like second nature. It's a thought pattern. It's an emotional pattern that we have a really hard time breaking. And I, you know, I, I, I'm not, I never, it's really hard for me to talk about these things from a place of expertise because I feel like you're talking at people when you do. So I, I always bring it back to my own experience. 
you know, and, and when I think about the time that I came clean about my gambling and I went and I sort of let, I put everything out on the table, no, not knowing to go back to the definition of vulnerability, right? Like not knowing, right. What risk laid on the other side? Was I going to stay married? Was, you know, who was going to find out? Like, what were they going to think of me? Was I going to lose my friends? All those things. And I had to do it. I had to live it. Right. And so I've lived it and I know what it's like and I know what it feels like. And then to go get help and to say that you're an addict, a compulsive gambler openly in a public forum, now with other people like you, right? So that that's the, the beauty and power of a 12-step program. If you've ever been to one as a guest or as a member, is that we have this ability to share our stories with other people who are like us. Thus, a lot of times mitigating or eliminating the judgment that we feel if we're telling somebody else who doesn't get it. Um, but even then for me, like standing up in front of a group of people and saying I had a problem and being an addict or compulsive gambler was like, I remember my knee shaking, you know, when I started to like get into that habit of saying that I had a problem, but I got to the point where I didn't view it as a weakness anymore. I viewed it as a strength, a sign of resilience, a sign of courage, a sign of, um, strength. And like having lived that like has allowed me to do a lot of other things in my life, like taking other risks, like starting going and going back to school for, you know, a career in sports psychology, which is my second career, you know, going through a divorce, which, you know, obviously is not ideal um, and requires that you make a choice. These are all things that I didn't know what was on the other side of it, but I, I did it you know, going to see a therapist and all these things. And like, I just know that the self-disclosure part of it, the, the facing my fears part of it has made me a better father, a better professional, a better person. And I really try to communicate that to the people that I work with, you know, my clients and the parents, Right. I don't necessarily share all the gory details of my story with clients. Like that's not necessary. Um, most of the time, 99% of the time. Right. But but I do try to speak from a place of experience so that they feel like I'm not talking at them. I'm I'm dialoguing with them. I'm giving them ownership. And I think a lot of times that makes young people uncomfortable because they're not used to taking ownership of their own lives, their own situations. They're used to um Wait, they're used to waiting for somebody to tell them what to, to what to do. And I think that that kind of speaks to the, the difficulty in asking for help, right? It's difficult to ask for help because I don't want to come forward and, and admit that I have a vulnerability or a deficiency or a problem. I would rather you just tell me and take that information, take that information and do something with it. It's easier that way. And I'll just wait. I'll wait till you coach me. And a lot of times that coaching doesn't come for a lot of reasons. Like I tell young people, Hey, like if I coach, if I'm a head coach of the division one athletic program, I've, I've got to deal with administration. I've got to deal with assistance. I've got to deal with fundraising. I got to deal with recruiting. I got to deal with academics. I've got a lot of hats that I wear. And no, oh, by the way, I've got 15, 20, 30, 40 other kids, hundred kids from a football coach that I have to deal with. So like time is not, 
you know, is not like, you know, infinite for everybody. So what I tell young athletes is, is like, if you're waiting for someone to tell you what you want to hear or, or to coach you and you're not getting it, well, then that's on you because if you need to be coached or you need something from somebody else, you got to ask for it because you're not the only person that they're dealing with. And I think a lot of times athletes take it personally, um, that they're not getting what they need from coaches and they feel like oh, I'm entitled to it, but they don't really have the ability to, you know, have the empathy for that coach because they're in a position of authority and they feel like I'm the, you know, the subordinate and like, you know, they need to take care of me. And that's not always how it works. And I think a big part of, frankly, the, maybe the biggest part of, of any relationship, including a mental performance coaching relationship is two-way communication, right? Ultimately at the end of the day, I could be the smartest, you know, mental performance coach in the world, right? But if I don't have the ability to communicate with you, to understand where you're coming from, and you don't have the ability to communicate with me to tell me what you need, we're not going to, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to come up with a solution that is, is right for you because we're not getting to the heart of the problem. And I think the same goes for coaching, right? You know, coaches and athletes, the communication has to be there, you know, and it's not always going to be perfect, but it has to be an open door. It needs to be two way and it needs to, there needs to be an element of trust so that either party, if they need something to get more out of the other person or more out of their experience or to improve their own performance, they need to be able to know what the other person needs and is thinking. And so that's something that comes up a lot more. It's probably a, the, the biggest thing that I, I see and it's not something we practice, right? So asking for help, if we're not practicing asking for help, we don't know how to ask the question, right? Like if I frame the question as why aren't you playing me or like, why did you bench me? Or like, why did you do this? Like anytime we ask someone why they usually get defensive. I know I do. Like, why did you do that? I don't know. Like I did it. Right. But if you come to somebody like a coach and say, Hey, Hey coach, like, how do you think I can be getting better? Or you know, how do you, how do you see my role on the team or what are your expectations, right? What, how questions, where, why, not why, but what and how, right? Big open-ended questions to try to like frame it as like, Hey, I'm trying to take responsibility and I just want to understand your feedback so that I could take it and get better. Right. And sometimes for me, that's, you know, working with an athlete to role play, right. To, to be able to practice asking for help. If we don't have a plan to ask for help and we don't know generally what we want to ask and why we're asking it and what we want to get out of the conversation and how we want it to go or we previewing it, then the conversation's probably not going to go that good because their conversations are really emotional. They can be really emotional, especially when you're not hearing what you want to hear. Right. You know, I, 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 I went through this recently, you know, on the personal situation, you know, and I'll share this, you know, I, about a month ago, I went to, to, you know, my father and I, I asked him for some help. And, um, I, I mean, in 47 years, I can count on one hand, the number of times I asked my father for, to go out of his way to help me because I know my father and I, and I'm, and I think in fairness, I probably for the most, the first, you know, 37 years of my life, I probably didn't ask for help because I didn't want to hear it from him. But, you know, I got to a place where I really needed his help and I thought he could give it to me. And, um, I asked him for the help and, you know, he was willing to give it to me. Um, but then he, he made it conditional. Um, and that really hurt my feelings. And so I just said, Hey, take your help and shove it. 
You know, I don't need your help. Because like, that's like sort of goes back to the idea of like, oh, I'm going to be vulnerable with you. Like, I really need your help. Like, can you help me? Like, you're my father. And getting it thrown back in your face is like, well, why would I even open up to you? Now, I know, thankfully, that that's just, he's 74 going on 75 years old. That's just the way he is. And I know that he's dealing with some things that, you know, that are solely up to him. And so like, he's got his own issues. And so I wouldn't have had a problem if he would have just said no, because I understand. But he said yes, but then he made me feel bad about it. And it was conditional. So it's like, well, why would I even ask you for help? And I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. Like, I don't want to, you know, get, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to have something thrown back in my face. I don't want it to, to be used against me. Right. So why even bother? I'll just figure it out on my own. It's so much easier. It's like delegating work at, you know, de delegating work to other people in our jobs. I was really terrible at it because I always wanted the people who did the work to have the same standards as I did, the same urgency, the same care. And the truth of the matter is, is that not everybody does. Um, but we have to learn to trust them to do it because we have other responsibilities. Trying to take on everything yourself is a recipe for disaster, as I learned, because trying to take on everything myself uh, when I was working and dealing with financial problems and gambling and all those other things led me to a breakdown, you know, and that, you know, that's, that's not somewhere we want to be. And so the more comfortable we get with asking for help, um, and the more we practice it, the better off we're going to be when we need to flex that muscle, you know, and I think it's something that we don't, you know, as a society, we don't practice it. We don't, we don't, we don't, make it, we don't normalize it, you know, and that's sort of a, I won't say it's a buzzword, but a lot of people use that. We don't normalize asking for help. We don't practice it. We don't teach it as a life skill. We don't, we don't practice it, role play it. We don't, we don't look at it, right? What do we look at? You know, we look at hard skills, you know, memorizing things in school and, you know, um, you know, getting good grades and producing results. But we don't really work on the important stuff that's going to carry us through our lives. And so when we're thrust into those stressful situations where we need someone's help, whether it's on the field, on the court, in the boardroom, you know, wherever it is in, in our living room, you know, we're in a place where we feel comfortable asking for it and we have a plan and a way to do that that's constructive. And I think it's just something that's really, really important and, and it really drives, motivates my work as a sports psychology professional, because I want to ultimately, right, when I got into this work, when I went back to school in 2017 and I got into this work, it was, how can I help people, right? That was sort of the, over, the overt premise. How can I help other people? Because other people helped me in my recovery process and they didn't ask for anything in return. So I said like, wow, this is really cool. I want to pay it forward, but how do I make a life living out of it? And then when I realized that that was really what was driving it, I said, okay, like, well, where can I do that where I feel most comfortable? And to me, that was in sports. Like I always wanted a career in sports, but I didn't know how to do it. Didn't know where to look for the help. I didn't, it wasn't something that I think the people in my life, my family thought was, you know, feasible or realistic. Um, I felt like, you know, I just had to go out and sort of, you know, follow the game plan of go get a job, make, make money and pay the bills. And so when I had the opportunity, I was like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to put these two things together. I'm going to help people. And I'm going to do it in this context. 
But, but even further for me, it was about helping young people. Because if I think back to when I was 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, like I just, I didn't have, I did have help, but I didn't know how to access it. Right. It was probably not from my parents. It was probably from other people in my life, but I didn't have those kinds of relationships. I didn't have that kind of confidence or trust in other people at that point in my life. So it was just easier to do things on my own. But it got me to a place where I had to wait 20 years to figure it out. And then I had to go through a lot of pain and suffering to get out the other side of it. Now it's been to my benefit and I'm grateful for the experiences that I've had. And I never wake up you know, any day and say, I wish I wouldn't have gone through this because I wouldn't be where I'm at if I didn't. But at the same time, it's like, well, why does a 16 or 17 or 18 or 30 year old have to go through that when they, there's other people out there to help them? And so, you know, I've carried that over. I mean, I do it in my sports psychology work with young athletes. I also do it as a speaker um, for a company called Epic Risk Management. Um, and I speak at colleges and universities in the U.S. And I, 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 I advocate for student athletes and, and coaching staffs in terms of understanding the, 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 the challenges and the, and the dangers of problem gambling. And that's something I get great, great satisfaction out of, you know, helping other people in that particular realm because it's something that's near and dear to my heart. And every time I stand up in front of a, a audience, whether it's, you know, 300 college kids or a hundred coaches, it's, I tell my story and that's, you know, ch me choosing vulnerability for the benefit of others. And I think that that's not the norm. And I'm not saying it should be the norm necessarily. Not everybody wants to share everything all the time in such an open way. And I'm not suggesting that everybody needs to do that or should do that. But what I am suggesting is, is that if you're able to acquire some of that comfort in being vulnerable and asking for help at an earlier age, at an earlier stage of life, it's going to make your life a lot easier. Um, and I think that that's something we need to be aware of, you know, whether or not it's easy to get to a place where we're comfortable asking for help. That's another story because I do think it requires practice you know, requires practice to overcome some of the things that we're inherently programmed to think and do. Um, but we can do it. And I, I know we can do it because I've gotten to a place where I'm, I'm okay asking for help. You know, even if it doesn't go my way, at least I feel uh, confident and good enough about myself to, to advocate for help where I need it so I don't have to try to solve all my problems on my own. So ultimately, I mean, this episode is really about thinking about why it is so hard to ask for help and what it means for athletes, right? I think that I see so many situations for young people where they're not willing to not only ask for help or they don't know how to ask for help, but even if the help is there, they don't know how to take it. And I think it's just bringing an awareness to the, you know, to, to the population, bringing the conversation out to say, hey, it is hard to ask for help. And here's why, because we're not biologically wired to want help or to be okay with help because we don't want to be vulnerable because it's a threat to us. So we try to do things on our own, right? We're sort of overcoming that hump. If we know that, then we can also be a little bit more self-compassionate and saying, you know, it's not that easy to do, but if I really want to get better at it, I can take little steps to become a, you know, better at it, you know? So ultimately, you know, I want to, I want to leave these episodes with things that the listeners can take away. And in this case, I would say that, 
you know, I, I want you to think about the three things that you could take away from the episode that you might be able to to use or at least contemplate and 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 you know um you know and 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 noodle on, right? And so one, you know, we usually think that asking for help looks worse than those we are asking for help, right? So what do I mean by that? We assume in our own minds that if we ask for help, we're going to look bad. But the person on the other side actually thinks it's a positive. They think it's a strength. Or if nothing else, they're just neutral. They don't really care, right? They're not judging you. They're there to help you, right? Coaches and parents are there to help. Coaches and parents wouldn't be parents, wouldn't be coaches or parents in most cases if they didn't want to help. So they're in that role for a reason, you know, and they want you to come to them and talk to them. I'd certainly talk to my athletes about this. Like I am here to help you. So use it, right? Engage in it. Because if you don't, then you're wasting it. So that's really important. I think knowing that asking for help is not going to be as bad as you think it is, right? For that person that you're asking, they're not going to judge you as much as you think. Secondly, and probably very similar is we're always being judged, right? No matter what, right? Whether you realize it or not, people are judging, right? They're making snap judgments all the time. So there's nothing you could do about it. It's not in your control, right? So, so asking for help, whether you get a, 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 you know, whether you get a good answer or a bad answer or you get support or you don't, or someone judges you wrongly, doesn't matter. Like asking for help just by, by virtue of going to, through the action of asking someone to lighten, help you lightens your load. So it's a benefit to you, even if you don't get the help, right? You've asked for the help right? Like, Hey, I've done my part. I can control this. I can't control whether somebody judges me or decides to give me the help, but I've actually taken action and advocated for myself. And now you're getting it off your chest. I think that that's really important, right? So, you know, sort of a, a, you know, on a tangent a bit, you know, that's why therapy is so great, right? Like you might not get answers. You might not get answers in therapy all the time, but you're able to unload your shit. And I think that that's really important to do and having someone you trust, whether it's a therapist or a friend or a parent or whatever, just being able to unload and, and ask for the help is really important just by virtue of doing it. And then finally, third, you don't have to be bad to get better. I said it before and, and I want to thank Lindsay Hamilton for that because I can't take credit. You don't have to be bad to get better, right? If you want to be great, if you want to reach your potential, whatever that is, you need to look for those resources that are going to help you and that are going to give you an edge. And then practice using them, right? Going to them, asking for help, thinking about the ways that asking for help will get you the best result, asking, you know, all this different stuff, practice, right? It's going to make you a better person, not just a better athlete. And, and, you know, don't think that you have to be in a hole, you know, to go get help. And I, I really, those are the three things, right? It usually looks worse to ask for help for us than the person we're asking Two, we're always being judged. So you can't control it. So don't worry about it. And three, you, you don't have to be bad to get better. If you, if, if you like just take those three things in and think about them and, 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 you know, just sort of contemplate that, I think, you know, just that helps to build the awareness, which is a principle of my mental performance coaching practice. We can't be better or we can't work on our mental game or we can't work on anything in our sport to, to move towards improvement. If we're not aware of what's going on, if we're not aware of all the things that we're doing and thinking and feeling and the assessments we make of ourselves, if we're not aware, it's going to be really hard to change. 
So building that awareness is the first step in anything. You might not be better at asking for help tomorrow, but you might have, you know, some questions that you could ask yourself to say, how can I get better at asking for help to make myself a better athlete and a better person? So, um, I guess I'll end on that. Um, I just, you know, if you've listened to this whole 42 minutes of me talking to myself, um, congratulations, but also thank you for, for listening. I, I appreciate it. It is something that's really important to me. It's, you know, these, these solo episodes are a bit of an indulgence. And so anyone who sits and listens to me for 40 minutes, um, you know, I'm just really grateful for them and hopefully you got something out of it. And if there's anything that you think I can do to help you, please reach out to me. Um, you know, whether it's through my website, michaelvuber.com or, uh, by email, michael at ftbcoaching.com. Um, I'd be happy to help, you know, anything you need. I'm, I'm here. That's why I do what I do. So thanks for listening and, uh, hope to have you back soon. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe. Give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks. Ready to get better.